Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bocellato. And today, Robert, we're going to talk about one of the infamous figures in Florida's history, and yeah. perhaps the governor that is best known from the era in which he served. A lot of Florida governors are obscure to history. This man is not, and for all the wrong reasons, that's Sidney Katz, who was elected governor in 1916, a Democrat, but of course he had been defeated in the Democratic primary and ran as a Prohibition Party candidate and was elected on a very conservative, anti-Catholic, racist, I would say pro-Ku Klux Klan platform. Unlike some other states, Florida never had a governor who was an active Ku Klux Klan member. Georgia, our neighboring state, had a governor who was elected, I think, just after Sidney Katz. Uh, that yeah. was a Klan member, and some other states did. Fuller Warren had once been a member of the Klan, uh, I believe, but he was very actually anti-Klan once he was in office and, and uh, uh, had tried to push a, uh, legislation where the Klan would unmask itself. Warren was unsuccessful with that. But back to Katz, an unbelievable of, figure. One of, um, one of the great and interesting things about Sidney Katz, and um, people aren't really aware of it, but he was only one of two candidates from the prohibitionist uh, ticket that ever won statewide office. And he was the only governor in the history of the nation who was a prohibitionist. Mm. Um, and basically what happened was um, he was a evangelical Christian, um, lost his eye in a freak accident when he was younger, um, got very, very fiery and um, deeply, deeply religious, um, a terribly prejudiced man. Uh, he had these, uh, you don't really see it in the photos because by the time the photos came along, he was an old man with gray hair. But um, growing up, he had these, uh, you know, f- these fiery red hair locks um, and he was just uh, intense. Anybody that saw him, uh, particularly when he was governor and particularly when he was a younger man, they said that he was just an intense person. And I think uh, what is so interesting about him is, and what is so unusual for him in relation to his uh, successors and his predecessors, is you can look at their record. You can look at the, the photo history uh, and the documentation that is still around about them. And you can get a pretty good idea about who they were, where they stood for, their overall dynamic and their personality. You can't do that with Sidney Katz. You really just had to experience it. And that's what, that's what everybody said. He was just this walking, talking tidal wave of emotion and charisma and racism and what ended up happening was he ran for uh congress a few times and lost badly and uh you know he had his own congregation he was a very successful uh pastor and then he goes to the governor's mansion uh this was about you know 19 uh 12 11 around there and he finds out that this big, beautiful antebellum mansion is the um, 
basically the the perk, the trophy, the main perk of the job for the governor's mansion. I mean, for the governor when he's in office, this whole entire mansion, you get to live there rent free and you get a servant and you get a horse and, you know, all of these things he found out when he was there. And that was the first time that he started to show any interest in running for governor. The whole fact that there was this big old mansion that would be his if he would run. Um, as I said, a terribly racist man. He also had a horrible temper. Uh, he shot an African-American man at point-blank range with a shot-off shotgun in uh, the 1890s. Um, but he was also... And, and that's that's the, the frustrating thing about Sidney Katz was he had a determined spirit. And so you there's one or two nuggets in his personality that I guess you I hesitate to say admire, but you can, I guess, acknowledge would be probably as far as I would go with that. You could acknowledge the value in his determination and even his self-confidence. But apart from that, he was a pretty reprehensible person. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's really the, the best you could say about him. And so he ran um, basically on this platform, which was, uh, you know, rum, uh, faith and racism in in a nutshell it was when um and, you know we you and me both talk about this in uh, the book that we we wrote rum runners i mean it was a it was a time when the entirety of the state and the nation was divvied up between the dries and the wets and so they were either pro or they were anti-prohibition it was a very um hotly contested and divided issue and it was a very emotional issue and as we've seen in recent years if you are somebody that is willing to champion an idea that might not be attractive might not be likable but has a very devout following you more times than not get elected to things, things that nobody would ever imagine you would be elected to. I don't know if I need to hit the head for that analogy any harder, but... <laughs> right, it's, it's populism. We see it We see it all over Europe yeah. right now. We see it, obviously, in the United States. Uh, we, have, we see it in, in parts of the mm -hmm. world that you wouldn't expect it, but if you look at Eastern Europe, Hungary... Uh, Poland, uh, even you can consider Erdogan and Turkey one, certainly Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson hasn't yes. been elected yet, although he is the prime yeah. minister. Uh, at, at the time of this recording, he has not been elected. I know there might be an election soon in the UK, uh, yeah. but he's probably destined to win that election. So yes, there's this... I would, I would say so. Yeah, there's this, this, this undercurrent now in geopolitics of populism, Katz uh, being someone from an era that when it first grew, let me give you a, a quote from Katz's inaugural address yeah. uh, on the steps of the old capital, or what was the capital at the time in, in Tallahassee. Your triumph is no less in this good hour in beautiful Florida, for you have withstood the onslaughts of the county and state political rings, the corporations, the railroads, the fierce opposition of the press, and the organization of the Negro voters of this state against you, and the power of the Roman Catholic hierarchy against you. 
Yet all over, uh, over all of these, the common people of Florida, the everyday cracker people have triumphed. He continued to float this theory while he was in office that the uh, Holy See would be moving to Florida and yeah. all the Protestant <laughs> uh, congregations would be shut down and everyone would be forcibly converted to Catholicism. Which, which, I mean, and people believed it. It was the crazy which thing. Which I don't, for those listening, I don't know how much knowledge they have in the papacy, but at the time, the Pope was Pope Benedict the 15th and he is known as the peace pope <laughs> if there was going to be a pope of the 20th century that was going to scheme to infiltrate florida or the nation that was not the pope he was he was a very humane person he was very timid and he was very kindly but you know yeah he he made this scholarly man this pious man into a monster and he did that with an entire race of people and there's a while we're doing quotes there's a very famous quote from his chief of staff that said the average floridian only has three friends sears roebuck god and sydney Katz. yep that that is a famous quote uh, another uh another infamous quote of uh of sydney Katz was uh after a few lynchings in, in his term in office in 1919, uh, he, 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 quote, he was quoted saying, only the vagrant, vagabond, worthless Negro is lynched. And uh, he responded to the NAACP complaining about these lynchings. And, and I think we mentioned on a previous episode, Woodrow Wilson's time in the White House yeah. coincided. Woodrow Wilson's quite possibly the greatest racist ever to occupy that high office. The screening of The Birth of the Nation, pro Ku Klux Klan movie, with a very uh, odd uh, telling of, of the history of Reconstruction, of, of post-Civil War era. That movie uh, inflamed the country, right? And the Ku Klux Klan used it as a major oh, yes. recruiting tool. So by uh, that, that uh, movie, D.W. Griffith movie, came out in 1915. By 1917, 1918, the Klan was really strong. They had tacit support from the man in the White House, they would eventually try and get his son-in-law, William Gibbs McAdoo, uh, nominated by the Democrats in 1924. McAdoo, as you know, was very close to being nominated. He was. And, and the Klan essentially controlled that convention in 1924. So the Democratic Party was the party of the Ku Klux Klan at the time. So this gave Katz, who was a Democrat, even though he had had to run as a prohibitionist after uh, barely losing the Democratic nomination to... to uh, to get elected, said, yeah. and I quote, your race is always harping on the disgrace it brings to the state by a concourse of white people taking revenge for the dishonoring of a white woman when, if you would, teach your people not to kill our white officers and disgrace our white women, you would keep down a thousand times greater distance. Now, this is directly the sort of rhetoric that came from the Birth of the Nation move film, screened at the White House by Woodrow Wilson. Wood one of Woodrow Wilson's quotes was at the beginning of that film. Sidney Katz was the embodiment of that. He took that phony living history, made it reality, and applied it as governor uh, to, uh, to justify his racial, absolutely maniacal racist behavior. And you know, you mentioned Birth of the Nation, and what is so interesting is Sidney Katz is really a human embodiment of the two main themes of birth of a nation this great technological advancement it was you know it was 
the Titanic, the Lord of the Rings of its day, mixed with this very prejudice underlying message. Sidney Katz, uh, he was the first person to really um, create the barnstorming method of campaigning. His campaign was revolutionary. He uh, walked, he drove around all throughout the state on a Model T, first candidate to travel by an automobile. His inauguration was the first inauguration to be filmed. There were a lot of things about his candidacy that was designed to basically excite the average rural voter whose most of his social life when it wasn't about agriculture, when it wasn't about commerce, was already roped around the whole concept of candidates coming into the square. And you now have this candidate who comes in to, you know, do his little politic and there'd be barbecues and stuff. But instead of a carriage or on foot, he's driving a Model T. You know, many of these people had never seen a car before. Um, and so he basically had that sort of edge where it was almost exciting to vote for Sidney Katz. He was a Democrat, absolutely. He was also an outsider. Um, he was running against the, the comptroller at the time. And uh, at first it seemed like he had won the nomination. But, um, and you know, he claimed it was party shenanigans um, that actually robbed him of the nomination but uh, what ended up happening was there was a few precincts that hadn't reported and it was a very close primary and then those precincts i think they added about another hundred or two away from his margin and um essentially if i'm not mistaken it was a tied or a hung vote and the party elders got to select who the nominee was. And of course, they didn't select cats. So you have this message of anti-racism, of, of pro-racism, anti-establishment. And it probably was uh, an asset for him not to win the primary as opposed to winning the primary because he then used it as another example of how he was an ordinary man. The establishment was trying to steal from him as they always steal from you. And it paid rich dividends. He uh, ran as an independent and, and a third party and he swamped the Democrats. Yeah. And obviously, as we've talked about many times, the Republicans were not a factor in uh, elections in Florida after African-Americans were effectively disenfranchised prior to the massive influx of, of residents from the Midwest and, and parts of the Northeast that uh, registered as Republicans down here and, and uh, made the Republican Party of Florida, at least prior to the civil rights era, somewhat of a, an odd party because they were uh, very conservative on fiscal issues but had this liberalism on civil rights that... Uh, uh, no one else had in, in the state. So, uh, but this was the era when no Republican could get elected. Sometimes they wouldn't even run candidates. So basically, it was the Democrat nominee against Democratic nominee against Sidney Katz, and Sidney Katz was able to win with the masses of the Democratic base in rural Panhandle, Florida, uh, supporting him. So 
the aftermath of Katz is after 1920, he's out of office, but Terry Hardy comes in as the governor. We have the Rosewood lynching. We have a number of other very, very uh, terrible race-based crimes in, in the state of Florida. Florida per capita produces more lynchings in the early part of the 20th century than any other state in the country, more than Mississippi, more than South Carolina, even though you had people like Theodore Bilbo and, and James K. Vardaman running around in Mississippi and all the descendants of Pitchfork Ben Tillman and, and company running around in South Carolina. So uh, Florida, the le- legacy of Sidney Katz is, is one, and also uh, the anti-Catholicism. Uh, Al Smith uh, uh, lost Florida in 1928, uh, based largely around his religion. At a time when a Republican could not get elected in the state, the Republican nominee carried Florida because the Democratic nominee was a Catholic. That is the only reason he lost the state of Florida. So the racism, the, the violent racism, which defended lynching, as I, as I read the passage earlier, and the anti-Catholicism, uh, Katz, actually became very mainstream in Florida politics over the next 15 to 20 years until uh, influx of people uh, during and right after the Second World War changed things. And, you know, it, it should be noted that when Katz actually got into office, he did not govern as a prohibitionist. He, you know, he didn't govern as a reformist or somebody with very high-minded ideas. He governed as a bourbon Democrat. He basically got all of his family on the payroll all of his supporters on the payroll. The only real thing that he ever stuck his neck out on was uh, the 18th Amendment and uh, making sure that Florida voted wet to eliminate uh, alcohol. Uh, Famously, he didn't go to his inaugural ball because he claimed that uh, the punch was spiked, Um, which is very ironic because uh, even though he was this very anti-alcohol, he actually uh, drew up uh, lesson plans and insisted that all of the teachers statewide uh, give these indoctrinated lessons on the virtues of taking the pledge of not drinking and prohibition, something which would be, you know, totally unheard of today. In, in in any state, in, in any part of this country. Um, but oddly enough, when he was out of office, he tried to run for the U.S. Senate, lost badly, and ended up uh, going into business selling a tonic, uh, a medicine, which most of it was alcohol. Yeah, and certainly Katz uh, was a moral hypocrite, I, I think, history has taught us that and had a totally detrimental effect on the state of florida we're going to leave it there Uh, we will be back with another new episode of the florida history podcast next week thank you for joining us you can find our podcast wherever you find podcasts uh, apps places like apple podcasts google podcasts breaker radio public spotify 